get that. And I also want to encourage you next weekend, Pastor John Hunt will be ministering here in our two services. So that's brilliant, our state uh, leader. Hey, uh, hey, thanks team. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, give them a hand. Come on. <laughs> Woo. Um, I just wanted to draw your attention this morning. I um, finished a series last week. And I want to just start a new one this week, a series of messages that I, I believe are pretty profound and really important for us. And I want to introduce it, the whole series, just for a moment, for just for a minute or two this morning. And I want to read you a, a scripture today um, from Deuteronomy chapter 19. Moses, Moses wrote this as inspired by God. And so he, uh, it says this in Deuteronomy 19.14, You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. In your inheritance, which you will inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You may say, what in the world is Moses talking about? Moses is talking about a very practical and literal um, thing here in that when the children of Israel came out of the desert after 40 years in the desert, who knows, you'd probably want to set up a permanent kind of residence, wouldn't you? After 40 years of wandering, pretty nomadic. And so uh, God divided the land, of course, you may be aware of that, and he, he divided the tribes, and then the tribal landscapes, then they divided into families, and clans, and families, and so forth. And the way that they established the property boundaries was through these landmarks. Um, and what often would be set up is a stone would be set up on the, on the border to, to say, this is, um, this is someone's property, and, and over that other side of that particular stone or landmark is someone else's property. And so Moses established that very clearly because, unfortunately, um, people used to move the stones. If you move the stone, you get more land. That makes sense, doesn't it? And so what was happening is people were moving the stones and they made, and it, it eventually became a criminal offense in Israel to move the stone. Um, and it was uh, punishable in some cases by death or at least corporal punishment and beatings. And uh, the reason that they uh, wanted to make sure, because you've got to appreciate 40 years of wandering and now you get a block of land to yourself, maybe 10 acres or something. Your land was your livelihood in Israel's day. Land was a livelihood. If you didn't have land, you didn't have a future. You didn't have a hope. You didn't have a life. And, and so it was very, it was very um, important that everybody was obedient to that and didn't move the stone or the landmarks to gain more property and because you were stealing from someone else. So we see that there, Solomon, when he wrote Proverbs, actually wrote the same verse but with a different emphasis because it just says in Proverbs twenty two twenty eight. What's he say? Do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set up. Now, Solomon now writing in Proverbs, is not, he's not writing about physical landscape or literal land um, blocks of land. He's now talking about, Solomon's now talking about principles and, uh, and biblical truths that God has set up for us so that we can have a fulfilled life. Because as land was their livelihood to the nation of Israel... And just as a side note, they're still fighting over land over there. And you've got to realize why they're doing that, because it's their livelihood and hope. Uh, they're still fighting. But Solomon wrote this verse very clearly, not because of physical boundaries, but boundaries within our hearts and lives and the boundaries of God's principles and God's word that we need to apply to our life and live by. And, and, and quite literally, Solomon is saying, um, he says, don't move those boundaries. 
who knows that we have principles and things today in society and community that the people move the boundaries all the time. Thank you. Hello. Are you there this morning? Okay. It's just that I'm a, I'm a distance away from you. It's okay. If you're going to say amen, just give us a big one. It'll be right. Um, so, I mean, you know, we're moving the boundaries, aren't we, in, in the world? And so God sets up, uh, has set up, and, and Solomon proclaimed it, and he says, come on, we can't move those ancient landmarks. And, you know, um, the truth is we find today uh, it's a dangerous thing uh, to move things because it destroys lives. It moves God's principles and God's absolutes. It destroys lives. But more importantly, I want to talk to you today and over this series of just several weeks about um, what the Bible scholars call the doctrines of faith. Or um, I know that's a big word. It's okay. It's, don't, don't be scared by that word. It's quite very practical. These doctrines are important for our existence. The thing that God has set up so that we can live in community and live blessed lives and um, be great witnesses for Christ. Um, and so I want to start the today with the very first one that I think is, well, there's many you could start with, but there's one I just want to tackle today and I want to just give you insight and truth into because I think sometimes people have moved the boundaries in society today and said, oh, this is not as important. Well, this doesn't really need to happen today. And so the first subject I want to uh, tackle with you is the Holy Spirit. Because, because sometimes I think we can say, well, and we get so used to not maybe even engaging or talking about it or even, and, and we, can not, we don't need to brush over it. But God has set the Holy Spirit truth as a, as a boundary marker for us. Because who knows, we haven't got Jesus here anymore walking on the earth. Is that right? We haven't, God certainly has never come to earth, but he has in the form of Jesus. Jesus is gone, but he's left us who? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working more in your heart than you realize. The Holy Spirit is here this morning in our lives. He can be speaking to hearts this morning. The Holy Spirit can be challenging us, doing a lot of things. And I want to just look at the functions of the Holy Spirit because it's a powerful and wonderful thought. And, you know, you might say, well, I know about all this. Well, that's good. You can never get enough too much of a good thing. Is that right? <laughs> so let's talk about just this morning an unmovable stone. And that is the truth of the Holy Spirit and the functions of the Holy Spirit. If I could just say the Holy Spirit is a person, okay? He's not a force. He's not a, he's, he didn't engage in a Star Wars movie. He's not a force. He's not even a feeling, though we have feelings. We all have feelings and emotions because of the Holy Spirit moving upon our lives. Um, and he's not spooky, okay? He's not Casper the Friendly Ghost, if you ever remember that cartoon from some decades ago. He's not spooky. He's not um, any of those things. Holy Spirit is equal with God the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We call it the Trinity. Um, they're not, they're, the Holy Spirit's not, and they're not, not exclusive to one another. That means they're, they're not more special than each other. They work together. They promote each other. They don't promote themselves. They're mutually or they're jointly uh, moving together and working. And uh, as God the Father sits in heaven and rules the heavens and the earth, as Jesus Christ sits on the throne beside him and has already had his time um, um, with us, and uh, the very spirit and presence of God and Jesus through the Holy Spirit now can live and dwell and do something in our lives here on earth. In actual fact, I'm so glad that Jesus left uh, because he sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus was limited in one spot at one time in one place. The Holy Spirit's unlimited. 
can be in all places at all times, in all hearts and lives. And even today, as I speak to you, the Holy Spirit's here. He's, he's, in, he's in the deepest places of Africa. He's in the, uh, Europe. He's in China today. He's moving upon hearts and lives everywhere. Isn't that amazing? That's the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. You can say, oh, well, this is not that exciting to think about that. That's wonderful. No, well, I tell you what, I tell you, without the Holy Spirit, I tell you what, we would live a pretty dull and dead life. (laughs) The Holy Spirit wants to be present in our lives. Can I tell you the very first thing of what He does, the very first function of what He does, the Holy Spirit, is He regenerates. He regenerates. And, And... what does that mean, you may ask? Well, it means He breathes into us new life. He breathes into us new life. You see, the, the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament. It just wasn't in the New. The Holy Spirit's there from creation. That's why God said in the very beginning, let us make men in our own image. It wasn't just Him. It was Jesus, the Son. It was the Holy Spirit as well. Were there, let us. It's not just me. It was us. And so the Holy Spirit word, uh, sorry, the Old Testament word for Holy Spirit is ruach. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a Hebrew word, ruach, okay? It's not an English word, but a, the English meaning means this. It means breath, okay? It means breath. And so we see in Genesis chapter 1, it says the Spirit, verse 2, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. So that's, that's the Holy Spirit. So he, he was here. The word spirit means ruach, breath. So the breath of God moved upon the face of the earth in creation. He was involved in creation. And very much so, he was involved because it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord, formed, the Lord God formed um, man or Adam out of the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed. He breathed into him and he became a living person. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, gave that life to Adam and Eve. He breathed into Adam. And if Adam wasn't breathed into by the Holy Spirit, he would have been just the the body, a form of flesh and blood, nothing else. Uh, And I'm so thankful that that's what happens to us. See, what this means is when you give your life to Jesus Christ, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes on the inside of you and you become regenerated, okay? And you become, what they say in, in John's Gospel, born again. Um, you become a new creation. You become all of those things. When you come and accept what God has done through Jesus Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit has an intimate part to play. He breathes life into you. Uh, you see, some people can say, well, becoming a Christian, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I don't think that I can do all that. I don't, I don't think that I could actually um, be a, a, you know, like, like I see those Christians, they're so good. They do everything right. Uh, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do that. I've got good news for you today. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you accept what He's done for you, the Holy Spirit, He actually comes on the inside of you and helps you to become a new creation. He helps you become what they call born again. It's something new. Something positive happens in your life. This comes a change. He can help you to be what you don't think you can be. I love that. Some people are so concerned about that. And I tell you, you know, you may be here today and say, I can't be a Christian. I can't live up to that standard. You don't have to. You just need to know that there's a Holy Spirit. He wants to come on the inside and make you new from the inside out. Do you still believe that today? I believe that's what happens at salvation. God can do something if you truly become born again. He can do something new. 
In John's gospel account, Jesus actually says and does something very significant in John's gospel. And John records it in the, this Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the fourth gospel account. And um, this is, um, Jesus had died on the cross. And uh, it's in, um, in John chapter 20, verse 22. He had died on the cross. He had risen again. And now he's got 40 days on the earth before he ascends to be with his father. So he's, he's, Jesus is showing himself to a whole bunch of people. He shows himself to the disciples. And Jesus steps into the room where they're hiding because they're concerned about, you know, copying it from the Pharisees because they were friends of Jesus. Jesus had already died, but now he's risen, of course. So there, Jesus steps into the room and it quite literally says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20, verse 22. He breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. Interesting enough, these are the disciples who've been with Jesus for three years already. Three years already. And now Jesus finally breathes on them for the first time the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. How much more do we? we that's what happens at salvation. And now um, there was this other time I just have to mention because you, you might um, see, well, he breathed on them. As, as disciples and they came but there's another time it recorded in Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5 where God actually says uh, he says to them he comes to them in what was called the upper room now into an upper room and he says to them as he comes into that room he says but wait here in the room for the promise of the father and then, and then he goes on to say, for John baptized, John the Baptist baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse, uh, verse 8, just a couple of verses later of Acts chapter 1, it says, you shall receive power when the what? The Holy Spirit comes upon you. So here we see that while Jesus had breathed into them the Holy Spirit and renewed them in a new creation, now he says to them, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit because it's going to come upon you. So I want you to see there's two different functions of the Holy Spirit here. It's, it's the Spirit that breathes into you and there's the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. And we see breath, he breathes into the new life and they're born again. And then there's another experience that occurs sometime later when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you. It was still in that 40-day period. He breathed into them, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them. But we're talking about the first one, aren't we? This is the first function, the regeneration of born again. And as I was just uh, thinking about that, see, look, I, I emphasize the two functions because sometimes we're not, some people are not clear about that. But it's very clear there's a difference. That God wants to breathe into you in your life at salvation and come upon you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it's exciting both, both is that this passion and desire for God to live within us and to touch our lives and fully immerse us in all that He's got for us. It's really, that's His desire, to be with His people. Uh, God doesn't want to be at a distance. But we're talking about the first function of regeneration when we come to Christ. You know, I, I was just aware that I, I was going over my, my personal um, conversion to Jesus and coming to Jesus and it was the age of 13, but you know, before the age of 13, there was this lead-up period, and from the age of 5 to the age of 12, I, um, my mum sent me to Sunday school, and, and, it, and it wasn't so much that she had to send me, I, I just wanted to go. It was just a great time. 
it was a great seven years of my life. I'd go automatically to Sunday school. In those days, you could walk to Sunday school, a couple kilometers. And so I used to walk to Sunday school as a little boy. And, uh, and these lovely teachers used to teach me about Jesus. And we'd cut out things and we'd do the Bible stories. And we, you know, all sorts of fun was had. And I'd done that up to the age of 12. I was keen. I was happy to do that. It was great. But there was a time when I was 13 when my cousin, he was two years older than me, and he came to see me one Christmas holiday and come and stay to, to be the, spend the Christmas holidays here in Gladstone because I came from a city called Gympie. And I came to this Gladstone at the age of 10. And so we grew up together, me and my cousin. Uh, we were very close. We literally grew up as babies together and then played together from pictures of him, me and him playing and, and being together. And now it was so wonderful to have him I was 13, he was 15, he came to Gladstone to stay for a couple of weeks holiday. And he shared with me, just, just a couple of months before he came, he committed his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to me and he says, James, did you know there's an experience, there's a thing that you need to do, you need to commit your life to Jesus. I said, that's okay, I know about Jesus. I go to Sunday school. He says, that's wonderful. He says, I'm glad you've done that, but you've got to actually allow Jesus, you've got to allow um, God to do something in your heart. It's a response to what he died on a cross and rose again, and then he's forgiven you of your sin. And when he explained that to me, I'm like, yeah, that's for me. It wasn't even an issue. And so I knelt one day. I knelt before him. I don't know why I knelt. We just probably thought that was a good thing to do. <laughs> and we knelt. To, in actual fact, we went for a day trip over to South End on Curtis Island. Who's ever been there? So we went on this little old boat. We went over there. We're just 13-year-old and 15-year-old. Once again, 13-year-olds. Obviously, I was responsible enough to do that. Um, and so we went together and we walked up the front beach and we got to the sand dune up the front beach. And he says, how about you commit your life to Jesus right now? I said, let's do it. And so I knelt on a sand dune before him and I think he put his head, hand on my head and he prayed a prayer and I repeated it after him. And I didn't, we didn't know what to do or what prayer to pray or how to do it. But I just knew at that moment that, folks, something happened within me and I felt anew. And I felt born again. I, I, I didn't say that at the time. He actually said to me, David said to me, how do you feel? I've now realized feelings come and go. It's not what you rely your faith and salvation on. But at the time, I, I said to him, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and quite literally, I was. We just walked two and a half kilometers up the front beach of South End. And I was looking at the ocean. It was just a beautiful day. And I'm like, thirsty. He says, good. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. You're thirsty. I said, that'll do me. So, I, I, and so we come home and there was something about what happened that day because I do stupid things like get up at one o'clock in the morning just to read the Bible. I do things like I wanted to share Jesus. I'd leave pamphlets all over my mother's kitchen so she would become a Christian. And she got sick of it and said, stop trying to make me a Christian. I am already. I said, oh, sorry, mom. You know, so I just got thirsty and hungry. I want to tell you what, the Holy Spirit, I didn't know at the time, but he regenerated my life. That's what he does. It's a function of the Holy Spirit. I become a new creation. Do you want to know the second function of the Holy Spirit? See, I want to just say for the first one, you can't live the Christian life without Him as He comes and lives on the inside of us and regenerates us. You know, and sometimes we get so um, maybe worn down by the uh, world or just so much in a rut of 
living the Christian life. And you know what? The Holy Spirit just wants to regenerate you. He wants to give you life, give you hope, give you a future. It comes through salvation, through regeneration, and through that born-again experience of receiving Him. You know, the second thing I've already intimated to it this morning, second function, He empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Just, he just doesn't come to live on the inside of us, but he comes, to, he comes upon us. I've said that already. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Um, the, so the first work of the Holy Spirit is regeneration. The second comes, and it's the second work of the Holy Spirit is comes upon you. That's empowering. And, it, and it, that empowering is subsequent to the born-again re- regeneration of salvation through the Holy Spirit. Um, Luke, uh, Gospel, chapter 3, 16, said, John the Baptist said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fire. You're going to be baptized. Luke said it. It happened in, ch- in not too many uh, months and years down the track at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And baptism means to be dipped or fully immersed. You know, I tell you, it's one of the great joys of living the Christian life is being fully immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit when He comes upon you. It's one of the great joys. It's, it brings so much peace and love and hope into your life because you've received regeneration and salvation, but now it comes upon you for this baptism and it's empowering you, empowering you. And you know, I want to say today that I b- still believe the initial evidence of that wonderful baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues, just that gift that He wants to put on your life. And we can sometimes we've got to not move that rock and say, oh, no, that's for, that was for them. No, no, it's what he wants to give us all. He wants to empower us. And evidence of that is that wonderful gifting of the, Holy, of the speaking in tongues. Does anybody agree with me this morning? He still wants to fill you with it. He wants to empower us. One of the products of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is boldness, which is often expressed in courage and fearlessness in our life. And, and, and the disciples on the day when the Holy Spirit came upon them were hiding in the upper room, remember? And Peter was one of those disciples hiding in the upper room. And, um, and, the, and the Holy Spirit um, said to them, wait for me here because I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. And they were praying and that's exactly what happened. But Peter was one of them. He was the one who, re- you remember, denied Christ. Not so many months before, not so many days before, he denied Christ. Peter struggled with boldness. He struggled because it, there was a moment when Jesus, before he was crucified, went in, was in a courtyard being, um, um, being abused by the soldiers and the guards. Uh, he was in one of the, I believe, the high priest courtyard. And Jesus was you know, being whipped and he was, beat, was be, being pulled in and they were... His beard was being pulled and, his, and they were making fun of him. And Peter kind of was just at a distance and he was just around the fire. He was just wondering what was going to happen to Jesus. But he really lacked any boldness because a servant girl came up to him at one stage and said to him, you are with Jesus. And because of his timidity, he denied Christ. He said, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I had no boldness at all. Couldn't even confess that or admit that. He denied Christ. Can you see that? And, and he had no boldness to continue to be a witness for Christ. He was so timid that he denied Christ and, and, and he said, no, I wasn't. This is the same Peter. The same Peter who walked with Jesus, remember, for three years now. 
And even the same, Jesus, the same Peter who had been regenerated as spoken at that moment in the Gospels when Jesus said, I, bre- I breathe on you and receive the Holy Spirit. He was regenerated even. He was, had, had, had believed in Jesus. So he was there. It was the same Peter. But now he's so timid he can't even confess that he knows Jesus. And so that time when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2, we fast forward to not many days down the track. In Acts chapter 2, it says when they came out of that upper room, they'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages. People were amazed. People flocked around. What's happening? They burst out of that upper room and they started to be witnesses and tell other people about what had happened. And Peter stood up. And what did Peter do? That timid, denying person now stood up and preached this amazing message. More than that, it was an anointed message. And 3,000 people were so convicted, they responded that day. What had happened to Peter? He just hadn't been regenerated back in the Gospels. Now he'd been empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, it's still for today that empowering. The Holy Spirit. Peter, the one who was the denier, became the one who was the incredible preacher. Boldness, boldness, so bold. I, I, I love that. So we see the Holy Spirit regenerates us. We see the Holy Spirit empowers us. We see the Holy Spirit, this is another one, He anoints us. The Holy Spirit wants to anoint us. And you say, well, what is that all about? Well, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit is upon you because He has anointed, sorry, the Holy Spirit is upon me because He has anointed me. He anoints. He anointed Jesus, and then Jesus went on to share. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind. What's the anoint? What's an anointing of the Holy Spirit about? What? What? What is it? Because, well, it's for us to do a job. It's for a job to be done. It's for His purposes to be fulfilled. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. He wants to anoint us. He, he, so He He regenerates. He empowers, and now He wants to anoint. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says, You have but received an anointing, John, uh, John says in his letter. You have received an anointing from the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? The Holy Spirit. We received the anointing. That's why it's possible that you can do things for Him when you thought that you couldn't do things for Him. And when other people say, you can't do that, I tell you, you can do it because there's the power of Holy Spirit in you. You might be timid and fearful. You might think, I can't. But it's when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, He anoints us and for tasks and things to do. That's why it's His empowering. And, it's, and that's why we can't boast about what we've done. It's about Him in us. It's His anointing. That wants to come upon us for a task. You can do things. It's not, it's not because we're... Now, we may be gifted. God gives us. God gives us abilities. God gives us charismatic personality. He gives us all types of things. But I tell you what, when He anoints a person, it doesn't matter about their gifting or their charismatic ability or lack of it or whatever. I tell you what, when He anoints, He gets the job done because it's His anointing that, that brings about that purpose to be fulfilled in us. I love that. The Bible says he, he calls the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, folks. He, that, he means, that means He graces and favors us with His anointing to do His purpose. I was, um, many, quite, quite a few years ago, I was in a prayer meeting early one morning in this building. I was about right there. That's when there was chairs there and there was a stage over there and it was all different. I was about right there. And um, I was the youth pastor in the church here. And as I was praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know, there's a time coming where you're going to have to step up. 
and I, I thought, what is he, what's he talking about, stepping up? He says, the time you're going to step up and you're going to become the pastor, who, the senior pastor. You know, my first reaction was this, I don't want it. And I started to cry, not out of joy, but out of God, don't give me that. I don't want that burden. I don't want that level of responsibility. I don't want it. And I sat, I knelt right here and just, and they probably think, oh, the God's moving upon his heart. And I'm going, don't give it to me. I don't want it. Oh, he's so spiritual. No, I'm not. I'm denying. I don't want it. And I fought with the Holy Spirit about that. I said, God, no. But you know, ultimately, as I continue to get the same message week after week after week, you know, God. I started to realize it's got nothing to do with me. And if God's calling is his enabling and it's his anointing anyway, so don't sweat. And it's amazing what God can do when he anoints you. It's amazing what he'd done with a young boy called David. He was the least of his eight brothers. He was just forgotten by his father. He was just a shepherd boy out in the paddock. He was, came from a little town called Bethlehem. There was no significance about that town at all. And yet God, at the age of 16, 17, anointed him king of Israel. And he went back to the sheep, but eventually God put him into that position. Isn't it amazing? The anointing of God, the Holy Spirit wants to anoint us for purpose. You say, well, how, how does that work out in everyday life? I tell you what, when you're a dad here and don't know how to discipline, love or care or love your children, I tell you what, he wants to anoint you to give you wisdom to how to do that. When you're a mother and you just had enough up to here, you know, God wants to anoint you and tell you and show you and direct you on how to do that. When you're in a work situation that's not real easy to get on with the boss or the circumstance, I tell you what, the Holy Spirit spirit can come and anoint you to be able to cope with that and walk through it I tell you what he wants to be with you he wants to anoint you for a purpose to be ultimately his witness to be the best you can be for his purpose and his kingdom everyday life he wants to anoint you for the tasks and it's his presence i can't do that you may say i can't do that well no you can't but him in you it can happen come on there's more than two people here going, amen, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, as David was anointed as a young man and then eventually, many years later, became the king of Israel, God fulfilled it. I want to say that, I, I, that we don't have to scheme and manipulate to get promotion or recognized. If it's truly God's anointing, he'll do it. You don't have to walk over people to get promotion or if, if you're in that situation and work and, you know, if God's anointing on you, he'll, make, he'll open the doors, folks. It's how God, God doesn't do it how the world does it. I tell you what, it's the anointing of God that'll just, he'll make it happen. He'll make it happen. And you don't have to, you don't have to promote yourself, you know, it's, he'll, he'll do the work. He'll promote what he has to promote. He'll open the doors that he has to open. He'll close it. It's the anointing of God. Here's the fourth thing the Holy Spirit does, the function of the Holy Spirit. I've simply said this. He advises. He advises. John 14, 16 basically says this. He, the Holy Spirit's a helper. Um, I'll, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. John 16, verse 13 says, uh, he'll guide you into all truth. When he comes, he, he will guide you into all truth. What a wonderful function. And in, in that guiding and as a helper, he'll, he'll speak to us in our hearts and he'll guide us and he'll help us. 
and you might say, I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak, or maybe, maybe you just need to slow down a little bit long enough to be able to say, God, speak to me and give me wisdom, because there's that voice in our heart sometimes, or just that wisdom and direction He gives you, and you go, wow, I couldn't think up that, but it was the Holy Spirit. He guides us. There's a portion in the New Testament where the, the, the disciples were trying to make a decision, and it says in Scripture, in Acts, it says, it, and when they made the decision, it just didn't feel good to them. It said it felt good to them and the Holy Spirit. So he was advising them and guiding them and helping them. And I love that this is what the Holy Spirit could do. He could, he could speak to you. Sometimes it's through dreams. I've had dreams and God, wow, I go up, I wake up. It's the ones I remember usually. There's a lot of dreams I think I have that I never remember. But there's sometimes just that thought, wow. Or, or that thought comes into your heart. You think, where did that come from? I wasn't thinking about that. You know, when I was, when I was, um, you know, when I was a, a young man, of, of uh, 20 years of age, and I know some of you know this story, and you think, does it really happen this way for everybody? No, it doesn't happen this way every, for everybody. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me about marrying Michelle. And when I heard those words, the Holy Spirit, you may say, really? Uh, believe me. Uh, believe me when I say it. And, uh, and if pe young people come to me and say, I've got to get the Holy Spirit to speak to me, but it doesn't always happen that way, Okay. It, it, God can guide us in that direction, and it can be just come very clear to us, okay? But for some reason, the Holy Spirit needed to really get my attention, because I was a bit male. <laughs> and I would have never chosen Michelle when I first saw her, because she was a non-Christian. And when I, all the Christians went over to her, her, her flatmate, she was a Christian, and the flatmate invited us all over, and we're going... We were there, and she was so scared of us, she quickly darted out of her room to get the drink of water from the kitchen and dart back. And as she darted back and forth, um, the Holy Spirit said, that's the lady you're going to marry. I said, don't be ridiculous. I'm not going to marry her. She's not even a Christian. I never thought about it again until seven months later, she walked into church. Got, she became a Christian at the, over there. Um, and then she got baptized in the Spirit, where Elaine's speaking and um, sitting as well, in the, within 24 hours. And then I thought, Father, this is a, could, could be a possibility. And then she got, and then another young guy moved in on her really quick. He was a predator. And um, <laughs> stay with me. He moved in on her really quick. And I thought, oh, well, that's the end of that. Um, I mustn't have heard the Holy Spirit. And then um, within a couple months, um, Michelle saw the light and um, broke off with him, and, uh, and then about another seven months, I left her alone for seven months, I thought, I've got to make sure this is right, in seven months, and, uh, and I said, would you like to have a burger together, she said, she jumped at the opportunity, and I thought, oh, this is looking promising, and who knows, two and so years later, we're married, and bang, been married for 33 years, it's all good, but it's amazing, I say that, what does the Holy Spirit want to do, he wants to guide you, church, and, and, and the closer we get to him, the more you'll hear him clearly, and he'll sometimes speak to you very clearly because he knows you could make a mistake sometimes and he wants to get you on the right path. I was at a youth camp once. I went out at the same time. I think through, through my late teens, God had to speak to me a lot. I needed it. And I was at a youth camp at Harvey Bay called Beth Shan and I was, I'd gone there with a, another friend. I'd gone there with a friend, and we'd gone to the camp, and after the, um, the, after the camp, the friend said, hey, let's go and stay at my mum and dad's place. They live in a property just near Bundaberg, Harvey Bay there, and before you go on to your parents' place. And, um, and uh, as I'm, I said, yeah, yeah, sounds good, sounds good. So I, 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 uh, I, I was laying in my bunk, I still remember it, 
And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and warned me. He said, you know, when you go to your friend's place, your friend is going to elevate you and you're going to get, you've got to be careful because your ego is big enough as it is. And, you're, and you've got to be careful because you're going to get really proud, pr- proudful if you're not careful about that. And you're going to be inflated and you don't need to do that in your life. The Holy Spirit was actually speaking to me about just growing up a bit. But he says, don't allow that ego and that pride to fill your heart. You'll find that this will happen. And this thought's flooded my head and I thought, what's that all about? I think God just, I think the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. So I, I kind of forgot about it. Sure enough, after the camp, we had an amazing time at camp. Went with my friend to my parent, his parents' place, and we stayed uh, together for a couple of nights. And sure enough, the first night around the tea table, he's, the, the, the guy, the, the friend, starts to elevate me and said, Oh, my friend, you should see what God's doing in his life, blah, blah. He's amazing. He's got, you know, things are going to happen, and God's going to call him and do this. And I was sitting there going, well, yeah, this is good. And I'm getting bigger and bigger. My head's inflating, more inflating. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, I warned you. And, and he got a pin and pricked it. <laughs> and it just, shh. Sorry, Holy Spirit. But isn't it wonderful? That's what the job of the Holy He advises you and helps you and warns you. And he, he, he keeps you from trouble. Amen? He, the Holy Spirit wants to do these things. Come on, we've got to move. Here's the, here's the last one. What the Holy Spirit does, He convicts, he convicts us. You know, and I'll, the team can, oh, Kate can come, thank you. He, when you become a Christian, I, I've discovered you get a tender conscience. When you become a Christian, you get a tender conscience. And so John 16, 8 says, The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. John 16, 8. He'll convict the world of sin. Notice it says he will convict the world, not us. We, that's not our job to convict the world of sin. Praise God about that. We don't have to walk around telling everybody what their sins are. That doesn't mean we don't need to walk around telling people about Jesus. <laughs> he does the convicting. He doesn't make us and, and he doesn't make us feel bad for the sake of feeling bad in itself, okay? When he convicts us. He convicts us so that we may have understanding so then we can turn away from the stuff that really wants to destroy our lives. That's why he convicts us, or he convicts people. Or when they, to come to Jesus, he convicts people. I've got to tell you one last story. We'll finish. My, um, when I was 20, I, um, I brought my mum to church here, a special lot of meetings. Some of you may remember, just a couple here would remember, but we had these meetings with this guy, and I've forgotten his name, and he was, um, he particularly um, was used of God to heal, to see God heal people. And I remember he, he, he was very, he, he preached the gospel, just a basic gospel message. And then he just sat on a chair on the stage and started to heal people. Who remembers that guy? No one. Just me. Okay. Just believe me. Um, and, he, and, he started, and he started to pray for people and people were being healed. But my mum was in that service and she actually went forward for healing because she had arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. So the meeting finished and he made an appeal for salvation. My mum didn't respond or anything. Now, you've got to understand, my mum's growing up in church. So we're driving home now in a Holden Kingswood bench seat. I'm driving. My mum's in the middle. And my little brother, who's 10, because I'm 20, he's 10. He's 10 years younger than me. He's on the other side. I, I now look back and see that the Holy Spirit had a captive audience. So we're driving home. And as we pull out of this driveway down the street here and driving down you know, Philip Street, I just thought I'd say to mum, hey, mum, 
Yeah, I was pretty excited about the meeting. I said, Mom, what did you think of the meeting tonight? And she came back at me at 100 miles an hour with anger. She says, don't talk to me about the meeting. I thought, oh, okay, tender point. And I respected and loved my mum. And I thought, oh, well, I won't say anything. So I'm driving home and the Holy Spirit starts to say to me, she's angry because she's convicted. No, I didn't. He didn't put it in those words. But he said to me, you've got to ask her, does she want to give her life to Jesus? And I'm debating with the Holy Spirit. She's gone to church all her life. God, she doesn't. No, ask her if she wants to go to, she needs to give her life to Jesus. But she just yelled at me before. She's angry about this whole scene. I didn't understand the conviction, obviously, of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what was happening. But I couldn't get away from it. So I'm having this argument and, and everybody was silent. My little brother, Jason, was like, he didn't want to say a word. I'm sitting there going, I don't want to say anything. She's going to jump down our throats again. I was, I, and I love my mum, and I thought, mm, yeah. and so I pulled into her driveway. I had to drive all the way to Clinton Park. Not another word was said. I dro- dro- pulled into the driveway. I parked the car, and I went for it. I thought, well, what could happen? She'll just yell at me again. That's the least that could happen. So I said, hey, mum, I just feel I need to ask you, you know, kind of, if you understand, please don't, you know, I, you know. Do you want to give your life to Jesus? She burst into tears, church. No lie. She burst into tears and said to me, yes. And I led her to Jesus in the front seat of my Holden Kingswood. My little brother over there repeating the prayer as well. And something regenerated her life. And I discovered that the Holy Spirit he didn't need, I didn't do any convicting folks. I just asked one question or two questions. How did the meeting go? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? The Holy Spirit convicted her so strongly that she humbled herself with her two sons and gave her life to Jesus. Even though she'd gone to church all her life, she suddenly realized that the Holy Spirit was convicting her. She needed salvation, even though she'd walked in been a part and believed in God. She needed to take that step. Isn't that a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? His conviction upon lives. It never ceases to amaze me what He wants to do with hearts. We're going to sing, the team can come. We're going to sing this last song and finish today. And I thank you for your time today. But you know, you might be here today and you've never received Jesus Christ or never actually verbalized that. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. We can do that. But you've got to make it your own and you've got to let God do something. Maybe you've been to church all your life but never prayed that prayer opportunity today. Just the way you stand to pray a prayer and, and receive Christ. Maybe today you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'd love to talk to you more. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, obviously, uh, that's not going to happen right now. But I, I, I want you to know that is available. He wants more for you. He wants more for you. Can we just stand as we close today? And I just want to pray today. First of all, I just want to pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus. Can I just say, it's really not, you know, people say, oh, you've got to give your heart to Jesus. Jesus will come into your life. That really isn't doctrinally correct. It's nothing wrong with saying that Jesus will come into your life because he does. But you should say the Holy Spirit's going to come into your life because that's what happens. It's the, it's the very presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that comes into your life. So let me pray a prayer. If you know that you need to make Jesus your Savior today, that you need to receive what He's got for you, salvation, 
I invite you just to say this prayer. Heavenly Father, today I commit people to you. And we come before you, we acknowledge that we need you. We need you in our lives. Lord Jesus, maybe there's people that have walked, uh, been in church all their life, but today need to make Jesus their Savior. So right now, in Jesus' name, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. I accept what you've done for me, that you died for me on a cross, that you took my sin and you gave me life. I thank you that you want to help me, and I ask for your help to live for you. From this, this day forward, I ask that you renew me, make me a new creation as I live for you now. And I receive you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray for every person today. I pray for the people that are here and, and heard your word today. Holy Spirit, that you are for us and not against us. You want, to, you want to regenerate us through salvation. You want to baptize us and come upon us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father God, you want, to, you want to anoint us. Father, we need you more. The world wants to anoint us. It wants to anoint us with grief and pain and heartache and sorrow. But you want to anoint us with joy and hope and a future, Lord. Lord, I thank you for that. And so I pray, even as we sing, Holy Spirit, that we'll be hungry enough to say, come and anoint me. Come upon me today in Jesus' name. How about we just worship for a moment today, church? That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Oh, 
from this place into this day. We thank you that your promise is that you're there, Holy Spirit, that you go with us. Lord, help us be ever more attuned and aware of that. Uh, Father, we need you in life, in everyday practice, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, church. Encourage someone today before you go home. Get a Kit Kat on the way home. That'll be brilliant. <laughs>